This is the Plant Yourself Podcast. I'm Howard Jacobson of plantyourself.com. Today's guest, Pam Croft, is Trail Mama, and her blog is a fantastic resource for two groups of people, for runners who want to become plant-based so they can perform better with less pain and have quicker recovery times, and for plant-based people who want to get into running. And I would say for anyone who wants to get into either of those, Pam's site is a great place to start. She's really upbeat. She doesn't have one of these dramatic stories of regaining her health, of losing 200 pounds, of being cured from inoperable brain cancer or anything like that. But in spite of that, and I love those stories because they, they're they so extreme that they can convince people, Pam's story is much less dramatic. And we, we decided during the podcast that her nickname should be No Drama Trail Mama. Um, sure, she, she did lose her mother at the age of, when, she, when Pam was 17, to a heart attack. And Pam suffered with undiagnosed celiac disease until she was 23, which, as you can imagine, caused all sorts of problems uh, from weight loss to weakness to nausea. But what really struck me when I heard Pam's story was how simple it can be to just take care of yourself, to try things, to see how you feel, to pay attention to your blood work, to pay attention to the results you're getting. And through this simple, non-dramatic process of trial and error, Pam has ended up a serious, competitive, ultra-runner, plant-based athlete, advocate for a healthy lifestyle. Not bad for an Italian-American Jersey girl raised on a junk food diet. So without further ado, Pam Croft, welcome to the Plant Yourself Podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So we were just talking before I turned on the recorder and he said, well, you know, I don't, I don't uh, know what my story is. I haven't lost 400 pounds. So let's find out what, what your story is. You are, you are a trail mama, right? So you're, I am. you're a plant-based runner. And, I am. And I'm meeting more and more of those people. And I, I suppose, you know, maybe my audience is getting tired of these interviews, but I'm not. I'm just getting more and more inspired. So I, t- tell me what you think your story is. When, you know, did you grow up running and eating plants or was there a transition? Um, well, it, it really started, I guess, when I was, I was a young child, I grew up in a small Northern New Jersey town, you know, your standard family, you know, eating the standard American diet. Um, I just never really liked the taste of meat as a kid. I was that kid that was hiding my turkey under the mashed potatoes, stuffing it in a napkin when I could, but I was 50% Italian. So there was a side of me that enjoyed things. And I'm embarrassed to say now like pepperoni, you know, that kind of stuff I did eat as a kid. Um, but I just never really, it just never really appealed to me, the texture of meat, I guess. But that's not to say I was a, a veggie salad eating eight-year-old either. I was very much, you know, hostess cupcakes, junk food, that kind of thing. Um, and then Gosh, it was shortly after my my 17th birthday, my mom um, suddenly passed away from a massive heart attack. She had had uh, high blood pressure, but we didn't really know, you know, she was handling it with medication. It wasn't something the family talked about, but the the day after Valentine's Day, she just, she just passed and um, that, you know, hit me pretty hard. I was the youngest. I have an older brother, so there were no more females in the family, uh, you know, no one to go to and, and sort of 
just subconsciously, I guess, that day, I decided, you know, I'm done. I'm done eating meat. I, it, I'm old enough now. Yeah, I mean, sorry? yeah, I'm, 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 I'm sorry to hear that. And I'm curious, like, what, between age eight, when you're like, this meat is kind of gross, and age 17, like, what, what made you think there was a connection between diet and high blood pressure and a fatal heart attack? Because most most people you know most people in North Jersey would not have made that <laughs> true and, and and it's kind of funny I was always involved in sports since the day I could walk I've played soccer basketball or softball either all at once or you know on multiple teams throughout the year and I was one of those one of those teenage kids in high school, you know, the soccer team would win a big game and they'd go off and they'd party or, you know, some would gasp, smoke cigarettes or what have you. And I kind of had this attitude. And I remember one of my, my very best friends, he was a guy and he used to make fun of me. I always had this attitude that I am an athlete and I don't do that. That's, that's not good for me. And I don't want to partake in that. And I actually got mad at him. I didn't talk to him for like two weeks. I think when we were like 15, cause I heard he had smoked a cigar <laughs> and I just always had that mentality. And I don't, I don't know where it came from. My parents definitely didn't say, you know, of course they said no drugs, no alcohol, no smoking, but they never, you know, I didn't have a salad until I was gosh in middle school. And I went over to a friend's house for dinner and she asked me if I wanted salad. And I, I was like, what's that? <laughs> so I don't know. It's kind of weird. It just kind of was always something that I've just felt that an athlete should have this higher standard. And I wasn't by any means the star of the team. You know, I, I didn't, I was definitely, you know, I made varsity in softball as a freshman and, and then sophomore year I played varsity basketball and, yeah. and soccer, but you know, well, you sound, I was you just sound your like, average. <laughs> yeah. You sound like a very kinesthetic person, Right from all, yeah. from all the sports and from you know not liking the taste. You know, there's like these these theories of of, of sort of mind where people tend to be either you know kinesthetic, like learning things through their bodies, or auditory, or visual. Yes, and that's um, very much me. <laughs> right, you probably had trouble like sitting still in school. <laughs> Yep, I always wanted to be outside. To this day, I, I I work in a cubicle and it it drives me bonkers. <laughs> right, and you want you want to pace when you're thinking around the phone and stuff like that, right? Exactly. Yes, I have a stand up desk. You know, I, I do as much as I possibly can to be moving. But right, so I'm wondering if that you know that kinesthetic sense, like you probably subconsciously all through your life, like ate something and didn't feel so great, and, and like you know, kind of yeah. this, this this learning that that allows you to see that like an athlete doesn't eat this way and then transferring that like that, that's what's really interesting to me is like we can talk about like athletes need to train a certain way but it's still not the same as making the link between a death and you know disease and death and diet like that's that's like a right. whole nother leap that I'm really curious about and maybe maybe you just you know you don't know I don't know. Yeah. And, and even after my mom's passing, my dad, I was 16. I still had a few more years till college and it was, you're in my house, you eat what I serve you sort of mentality. And, you know, and I didn't know enough at the time to go out and research what a vegan should supplement with at the time. You know, I was still just eating bagels and French fries and, you know, you're sort of junk food vegan more or less, but you know, it wasn't until I left for college that I said, well, now I'm not in your house. <laughs> now I can do what I want to do. And, you know, in the freshman year of college, I kind of did what everybody else did. I overindulged in a lot of junk foodie items, gained 
a bunch of weight, um, stopped playing all of my sports because I finally was like, I don't have to play. I want to relax. I want to enjoy this new chapter of my life. And then the summer of my freshman year, I realized I feel kind of horrible. So I started running regularly, lost all the weight that I'd gained in college, plus some, you know, came back and was sort of much more dialed in to the salads at dinner and the salad at lunch or what have you. So much so that it sort of, I think, um, unnerved my my roommates. They were kind of concerned that I was falling into like an eating disorder path huh. versus just a healthy eating path. Because, you know, what sophomore in college goes and picks a salad instead of the hamburger and French fries? Yeah. And, and I was going to ask you, like, when you returned leaner than you'd started, did I imagine that was kind of unusual among yes. college sophomores. Yeah, a lot of them. I mean... For sure. I mean, it was three a summer break of three months, and I think I'd lost like 35 pounds. And everyone was kind of blown away, a little bit nervous, I think. But I didn't lose any more. I kind of maintained that. I, you know, I ate. I ran. I just was more into moving my body, I guess. And that's when I really started to take up running because I had six roommates at the time. <laughs> six females in one house. You, you're itching to get out every once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I guess uh, my my college experience. I don't think I was ever in a room with six females, so I'm I'm, pro- I'm probably not the uh, most empathetic person. <laughs> I mean, I love my roommates to death. Don't get me wrong, and we still all talk today. But I was always sort of a I walked to the beat of my own drum compared to them, and and they knew it. But it was you know we accept each other for the way we are, and we love each other for the way we are. But they always know me as sort of the health guru, the running guru, the crazy the crazy roommate. Sure. So did you? When you returned as a sophomore, did you start playing sports again or was just running at this point? Intramurals. I joined some intramurals. I kind of regret not going down the college sports route, but then again, I don't because I made so many friends that weren't involved in sports. I kind of pursued my major a little bit more and got into groups along those lines and met some great people. But I did go back and play intramural softball. Um, I think I even played some basketball on the side here and there. Mm-hmm. So but did you did you still... Was, sorry, keep going. No, that mostly it was just intramural sports and then running, you know, by myself around campus. Right. So when you were in high school, you sounded like you were a three-letter athlete, a three-season yes. athlete. But like <laughs> in college, now, you know, playing intramurals as opposed to being on the team, did you still think of yourself as an athlete? I did. I kind of did. Not maybe in the regard that I did in high school, because I, I really, I mean, I ate cookies and, you know, I kind of overindulged a little the way college kids do, I guess. But I, I did kind of feel like I didn't like feeling out of shape. Uh You know, that freshman year, I really felt lethargic and just not who I was the four years in high school. And I realized college is supposed to change you. You you know, it kind of changes you into the person that you're going to be as an adult more or less. But I just physically, I was like, I wanted to get back to feeling better again. And so from sophomore through senior year, I did sort of regard myself more as, as an athlete because I would work out or run. And even though I technically wasn't on a team, I was on team Pam. <laughs> huh. Nice. And so um, how did you, how did you move from, it sounds like you were eating like as a vegetarian or a vegan at that point, but indulging a little bit. Yes. Yes. Um, not the vegetarian. I was, I was diagnosed, um, with, well, I was told I was lactose intolerant when I was three years old because I had had stomach problems. Come to find out it was undiagnosed celiac. Um, 
But when I was little, they said, just no dairy for her. Don't give her any dairy. So I kind of grew up really just not liking the taste or texture of cheese. So I sort of stayed away from the dairy side of things. So I sort of, a, I guess you're junk food vegan, you know, Oreo cookies and all of that and right. Fritos. <laughs> now, you just said you were an undiagnosed celiac for like decades? Mm -hmm. Yes. That's... I wasn't diagnosed until I was 23 or 24. That sounds horrible. Like, yeah, how, how, I had. How are you athletic? I mean, the people I know who are celiac, if they if they are in the same room with someone who's eaten gluten, they're like a mess. <laughs> it was it was pretty horrible. I mean, I had as a child, probably until I got to high school, I looked, you know, pretty scrawny. I mean, I wasn't lacking any energy by any means. I was enough. I was climbing trees. I grew up in a neighborhood of 10 boys. I was the only girl. So if I wanted to play, I had to play with them, you know, and I just, I always had energy, but I had horrible stomach issues from the minute I was born. Everything just didn't sit right with me. And I, so I was pretty skinny. And then when I got to high school, I'm not sure what changed, but I, maybe the fact that I just ate so much more, I don't know, but, um, I was, fairly, for lack of a better word, thick in high school, muscular thick, I guess. Um, and I remember my dad always saying, you better watch, watch what you're eating. The minute you guys stop playing sports, you know, you don't know what's going to happen. And I just laughed him off. And then in college, uh, the stomach ache started again. And I don't know if it was stress, if it was the loss of my mom, I don't know what along those lines, but I continued to lose weight after college, like I lost the weight going back into my sophomore year, and then I was fairly steady. But then when I left college, moved out on my own, the celiac really hit hard. And I just, I think I got down to 115 pounds. I was, and I'm 5'7", and it wasn't horrible, but it was definitely, I had comments made from time to time about how skinny I was. And I was still running, and I just still had energy. It's just I couldn't contain any calories. It was very bizarre. Mm. And was this at, at sort of a time before like, gluten intolerance and gluten-free yes. stuff? Was, <laughs> like, had you heard Very of celiac so. disease when you were diagnosed? No, not at all. I mean, I'd been doing my research as much as I could as to, you know, why I was feeling this way. And finally, when I got a job and I got my own health insurance, I said, I'm going to go and figure this out. And I went and I had the whole, you know, colonoscopy, the not whole nine yards. And they said, you have celiac disease and your intestines are supposed to have these little villi that catch all the nutrients. Well, you're flat as a pancake and it may never regrow again. You're so damaged. Um, but you need to follow this diet. And I was, you know, floored. I'm Italian, pasta, bread, all that stuff was always in my, in my diet. And, but I, I went gluten-free for a month and I lost 10 pounds or gained 10 pounds almost instantly. <laughs> wow. And then I, I played with the diet. I was in denial, like a lot of them are. Sorry for the airplane. Um, in denial a little bit and went off it, you know, just saying, nope, it's not, that's not what I have. It can't be. Yeah. And ran a marathon, bonked, lost 40 pounds in maybe a month and a half. My liver inflamed and I was getting really sick and that was it. My husband's like, no jokes. You have this. This is what you have. This is the way you have to be. And so from that moment on, I've been pretty solid ever since. Wow. What were the foods that, uh, that tempted you back to the gluten side? Bagels. I'm an East coast girl through yeah. and through and the, the smell of a fresh baked bagel, especially an everything bagel uh -huh. <laughs> was something that, I mean, I lived right next to a bagel shop. 
So that was probably bagels and then um, soft pretzels, like the ones they sell outside Yankee Stadium. Those were my favorite thing. You know, they're cooked perfectly over the coals. That was probably my hardest, hardest thing to let go were those two things. So both both are uh, risen, boiled, and baked. Exactly. <laughs> uh, I, I see the I see the pattern. <laughs> Uh, so, so at this point, um, I mean, bagels clearly, you know, everything bagels and pretzels are clearly not like whole food. Um, when, right. And, and we met at, a, at the uh, plant stock at the Esselstyn's farm. So I'm, I'm imagining that at some point you became a whole food plant-based eater. Yeah, uh, I would say, uh, gosh, shortly after I was married, um, I mean, in my early twenties, I tried to be as not strict, but you know, I followed the whole food diet as much as possible. I lived on my own. So it was a lot easier to eat that way. I ate a lot of fresh salads, um, you know, a lot of oatmeal for breakfast, got married kind of, you know, when you get married, you sort of, your habits change, your patterns change a little bit. You gain a little married weight. (laughs) Um, (laughs) that definitely happened a little bit, you know, we liked going out to eat there, you know, that kind of thing. But, um, and my husband wasn't, wasn't vegan when we met or when we dated or when we married. Um, and then I became, um, gluten-free shortly before we were married. So we had to change our, our wedding meal plan to include some gluten-free items so that I could eat and our wedding cake and that kind of thing. Um, but I'd say shortly after we were married and then pregnant with my first child, um, they they were very upset that I couldn't have dairy because I told them I was lactose intolerant and, and they insisted that I had to go buy lactate milk because and I was they, pregnant they, and I had to cons- – They is the They being the medical, the doctors, yes, exactly. They insisted that I had to do this. And I said, I haven't had that stuff since I was like four years old or whenever it first came on the market. And my parents thought, hey, look, here's here's something you can have. And I hated it. I didn't like the taste of it. And um, so I think I tried it for a little bit when I was pregnant with my first child. And I just, it just felt weird. Didn't, I don't like the taste of milk. I don't know. It just felt like, why am I drinking some other mammals? <laughs> milk and so I kind of I think midway through pregnancy I just said no I'm done and forget it and then my second pregnancy with my my littlest um I was completely whole foods plant-based and I was fine I had a great pregnancy so in hindsight I wish I could have stood my ground a little more with the doctors and said nope I'm fine the way I am I don't need to try this I can get through this on my own and I ran through both pregnancies too and that you know, I stood my ground with that, but for some reason, the food, I just, I took their word for it at the time. Wait, so you had, you had to stand your ground about exercising during pregnancy? Yeah, because they knew I was a runner. They knew I ran marathons. And I think with my first, I ran until I was nine months. And with my second, I ran until I was eight months. And I think they were just like, take it easy. And I don't know, inherently as a runner, you're very in tune with your body. You know, when something's not right or when you're maybe getting a cold or when there's a an ache or a twinge and if you're a good runner you'll listen to that Mm. (laughs) so I always knew if if I didn't feel right that day or whatever I wouldn't run or I'd walk more but I perfectly two healthy pregnancies full term mall running and was there was there the rationale from from the doctors though just like hey take it easy like maybe 
maybe you were like ditzy or something like you didn't realize you were pregnant or 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 did they think like there was a like I'm trying I'm trying I'm trying to understand like where they were coming from and and what I just think they thought it was dangerous. I guess they just, you know, there wasn't much out there then or maybe they didn't read much about running through pregnancy and and you know exercise is one thing but I was running and I guess they were afraid that I was going to and now I mean I know tons of women who run. I mean I've seen women run ultras pregnant, you know, and it blows my mind but you know, you just, you kind of in tune with your body. And as long as you listen to it and you're not putting you or the baby in danger, I think it's fine. But they were, they were just, I think a little bit skeptical that I could run that late in my pregnancy and not be doing any harm, I guess. Uh-huh. All right. So has, has your relationship with medical experts evolved over, over time? <laughs> a little bit. Well, it, um, I have, you know, we have a pediatrician for, for my girls and, a lot, of, you know, when my youngest was in there, she kept pushing the milk and the the dairy to get strong bones, and you know, I wouldn't say anything, let it go, go home and do our own thing. My oldest or my second, uh, my youngest was born, same spiel, but this time my oldest would go with us to her appointments, and my oldest listens. She's a sponge. She hears what I talk about at dinner. She hears what I tell friends. She hears what I tell family members. She knows sort of about trail mama and my message and that I'm always trying to encourage people to eat a little bit healthier. And so she'd sit there in these appointments while my youngest was getting examined and the doctor would be going on about dairy and she'd be like, uh, uh, but, but, but mom <laughs> kind of like looking at me, like, are you going to correct her? Are you going to tell her? And, you know, I've said a couple of times, I said, well, we're, we're, they're fairly plant-based. I'd say, I wouldn't say they're a hundred percent perfect. They're kids. I let them kind of make their decisions. And then when they don't feel well, they, I ex- explain how their bodies are reacting and do they notice it when they have certain things, that kind of thing. But they have, they will have dairy from time to time. And, um, but I told the doctor, I said, we're a plant-based family and this is how we are. And, and, you know, and she kind of just lets me go. I think she knows that I know what I'm talking about. I mean, uh-huh. She, she looks at us. We're a healthy family. They have stellar blood work. I had them both get a full panel, and their blood work and their calcium is fine. Neither one of them drinks milk. They're growing. They're thriving. Mm-hmm. So how old are they? So I don't, they are eight and five. Okay. So I, I get this question a lot from, from parents who are concerned about falling off the cliff on both sides. One is being too lenient and letting their kids kind of eat whatever and, you know, develop all these bad habits and these, you know, these cravings for hyperpalatable foods. And at the same time, fearing to be too controlling and, you know, and kind of both in, both in immediate terms, like, you know, depriving their kids of social interactions, making them feel outcast and weird, but also, wanting them to be able to have enough autonomy to grow up to make good decisions. So I'm, I'm curious, like what, as a parent, uh, who's, who's like really aware, like what, what are the, the factors that, that play into your decisions on how to raise your kids food wise? Gosh, it's, that's a battle. I, I go back and forth with a lot. I mean, I, I, and my husband, cause we sort of have a, a differing, I guess, of opinions on it. He thinks it should be way more lenient. Um, I 
I want them to understand. I want them to know where their food's coming from. I don't want to deprive them and say, you cannot absolutely have this because then I feel like they're going to turn around when they're old enough at their friend's house and say, oh my gosh, you have this. I'm going to completely indulge on it and hide it or what have you. And I, I don't want that. Um, and I want them to make their own decisions. And I know as a kid, I was a very picky child. I didn't like vegetables. I didn't like fruit. I ate a lot of junk food. And But it was also wasn't offered to me. We didn't really have a whole lot of fruit and vegetables in the house. My vegetables came in the form of a can most times, you know. And so, but I'm, I'm running into that struggle because, especially my oldest, she's very picky. She doesn't, and this is going to blow your mind, she doesn't like a single piece of fruit. There's not a single fruit she will eat, not a banana, not an apple, not applesauce, nothing. And she never has. And that's not very textbook. No, right. that blows my mind. And that's, I would love to bring her to Jane Esselstyn and say, can you help me? The vegan dog whisperer. What can I do? <laughs> but at the same time, she'll eat cooked broccoli. She'll eat her peas. She likes corn. Um, she'll eat Brussels sprouts. So she'll eat cooked vegetables, but nothing that is convenient for packing for lunches that I can just throw in on a moment's notice. Or if we're going on a road trip, I don't have steamed broccoli in my pocket <laughs> yeah. to give to her. So it's been a struggle. And, you know, you know, I let them watch a lot of videos. Um, we're a big YouTube family. We watch all the time. And so there's a lot of vegan kids shows out there kids put on by or you know shows put on by kids showing what they eat in a day that's vegan and they kind of get frustrated with me when I make them watch this but I wanted to show them that there's not it's not weird to be that way because my oldest for a long time she actually liked tofu and I would put it in a thermos warmed in a thermos with her for lunch and I think one day what happened is someone made fun of her because she came home with the thermos full and she said I don't want tofu anymore uh and I, it about crushed me. I was like, oh, so she's shy. She's not very outgoing or vocal. So she's not that kid that's going to say, well, you know what? I can get this and this, and this will make me grow strong, and I'll get these vitamins and what have you. She was the kid that came home and said, can I get hot lunch? <laughs> uh-huh. And so I, I, I struggle, you know, just like any other parent, I think. You know, for a long time we made the deal that she could have one day of hot lunch, and then the rest of the week would have to be lunches because I, I didn't want to force her, you know, and I knew she was throwing away the things in her lunch that she didn't like or trading them with friends. And so, you know, uh, does she have, a, does still, she have still, a, a sweet tooth? Uh, yes, which is weird because, I mean, she won't even she won't even have smoothies. I would make the sweetest smoothies in the world trying to hide in some spinach or hide in some berries or something. And she she does. It's a texture thing for her, more or less. But give her chocolate and the kids are happy kids, you know. So she definitely has a sweet tooth. Um, I do see her taste buds changing as we get older or as she gets older. You know, she's trying a little bit more. But she just definitely has, like, beans. She just she just won't do it. But whereas my youngest give her beans and rice and she's a happy little camper. <laughs> so I, I have this struggle, this ongoing struggle. And my, my husband's more or less just let them, let them be, you know, but I think he, I took him to see Dr. Greger speak um, back in February. That was my Valentine's day date surprise. As we saw him speak in Sacramento <laughs> and it, it, a, it blew him away. Yeah, Gregor's like, like the, the Barry White of nutrition, right? He's like, like, exactly. And I think it's a, a pretty romantic date. <laughs> it is. But, you know, my husband walked out of that thinking we need to do something. We need to be better about 
about their diet. So he, because I do most of the grocery shopping, but occasionally he'd swing by the store and grab a few things and I'd find that he'd throw in the bag of shredded cheese or whatever to make them quesadillas when it was, you know, when the kids were on his time kind of a thing. And I've found that he's stopped doing that. He doesn't buy the the shredded cheese anymore. I, I sure is, you know, I don't buy it. So quesadillas have kind of stopped in our house, which has is, is been nice. The kids haven't noticed. Um, uh-huh. I think they're noticing that they're feeling better because when they do get served something that especially has dairy in it, they, they both pay the price. Gosh, I had an incident just last night. A friend was watching my kids and she, she texted me and said, Hey, I fed them some Mac and cheese. Don't worry. Got dinner covered. And I sat her in my meeting going, Oh dear. Uh-huh. <laughs> and sure enough, my littlest one had a, a huge stomach blow up before we even got home. You know, it was full milk, full cheese and regular noodles. And my kids just out of, they're not gluten-free, but they tend to prefer the gluten-free noodles a lot of times. Uh So (laughs) it was a double whammy for her. Right. So it sounds like you're treating it, you're sort of walking the line about most important thing is sort of keeping the communication going and not making it into a battle. Yes. It's a day-to-day thing. Although, um, talking with James Wilkes at uh, Plant Stock this past weekend, he told us what he did for his older kids, his, I guess they're his stepkids. Um, they go out to eat as a family. Um, his two younger ones are plant-based, his wife's plant-based, but if his older ones who are kind of on the fence want something to eat off the menu, he makes them either pay for it or partially pay for it. Uh-huh. So, you know, he says if they really want that video game they're saving their money for, is it worth it to them, for them to to give me $5 for this burger they want off this menu. And I thought, you know, that's not a bad idea. <laughs> so we'll see We'll see where it goes down the road with my kids. They're still really young right now. I try to encourage them to make the best decisions. Um, I know at home they eat well. Uh-huh. That's the most important thing. And when we go out, we kind of just pick our battles as we go, I guess. Right. One of the things I've seen for families who tend not to have the struggle, and of course it's very idiosyncratic, like there are kids who are just going to be compliant, more or less, and others that yep. will, they will never be. But one of the common denominators I see is that the families who become part of sort of a community, you know, yeah. where, where there's enough people doing it that, it that you kind of have your own little normal enclave, almost like a, you know, your little religious sect or cult. <laughs> then you, yeah. get, you get to both be healthy and feel normal in your, in your referent group. For sure. The, the, the friend that I brought to plant stock with me, she's, she's now plant-based. Her husband's plant-based. She has a 12 year old and a nine year old who are, you know, friends with my kids and her nine year old about four or five months ago just declared, she said, mom, I want to be a vegetarian. I'm done. She's an animal lover through and through. And, and my friend was like, I, I support you a hundred percent, but if you're going to go this way, you have to eat you have to supplement. You have to be able to eat the beans and eat the salads. And she does. She won- And she's the kid that goes to school and will declare to anyone that what they're eating is bad and what I'm eating is better. And, you know, and not in a mean way, in a, just a, an educational kind of way. But she has that personality that she can do that. And I'm hoping, you know, the more that my daughter sees her, because she's older, she's in fourth grade, my daughter's in third grade, you know, she idolizes the kids that are a little bit older than her, that maybe, just maybe they'll rub off. Because, you know, mom telling her one thing is one thing, but having a friend who's kind of cool at school teller. So there's, there's always that. I'm, I'm hoping that she'll, she'll notice that, you know what? I'm, my mom's not the only weird one. <laughs> there's, there's kids at school. There's other parents that are this way, you know? Right. Now you have a, uh, 
a, uh, a mission on uh, online, right? You're your trail mama. So tell I am. Tell, tell me about that. Well, it, it sort of started way back when I was in 2009, 2010. I was training for my first 50 miler. It's something I'd always wanted to do. I had followed the Western states for years. Um, I used to work for PBS in Sacramento, and they did a whole documentary um, race for the soul on the Western states. And that's the first time I'd ever heard of that race, and it blew me away. And it, somewhere in the corner of my mind, I've always said, I'm going to do that someday. It's it's just amazing to me that these people can do this feat. And so, so you, did, you didn't know that 50 miles was a thing at that point? No, not when I first started doing, you know, when I first came to Sacramento and was working for PBS. No, I mean, I'd heard of this hundred mile race, but I didn't realize that there were like these races that lead up to it until uh-huh. I started living in Sacramento a little bit longer and getting onto the trail racing, the trail running scene a little bit and, and meeting a lot of people. And so, yeah, there's tons of races in this area from 50 Ks to 50 milers to hundred Ks, hundred milers. So I joined a group um, that was training for, there was the first ever trail running training program to get you to run 50 miles. And I thought, if I'm going to do this, I want to do this with a group, <laughs> you know, and that's the way I'm going to go. And, um, and I just was having so much fun that I just, I had really been into reading blogs, other people's blogs, their race reports, all those things. And so I just started one and I just, you know, kind of morphed into this thing and I got nicknamed the trail mama. And so that sort of became, cause my daughter was when I ran my 50 milers, she had, she turned two like a couple of weeks later. So she was still pretty young. So I was the trail running mama and the trail mama stuff. And I created that blog and just sort of just kind of told stories of all the trail runs and adventures I'd gone on over the years. And then it just sort of changed because my focus changed a little more. I guess I became a little more vocal about it. I mean, I was that person in the group that we'd run our race and then they would all have chocolate milk as the recovery because that's what the coaches advise to drink after you run a long run is to go have chocolate milk. I'd pull out my chocolate soy milk. <laughs> uh-huh. Like, you know, I'm, I'm not going to go that route. And then I realized, you know, because trail running, you can go through some digestive issues at any given point. And I figured out what worked for me and whole foods worked best. And so I started cutting out the the chocolate soy milk and the the gels and the, the shop blocks and all the race food that they sell you on and just started using real food and, you know, I started realizing this is great. More people need to know about this. And so that's sort of how Trail Mama grew into a food and trail running website, I guess. I don't know. Still, it's still a blog. I feel like the only people that read it are my family, but I know that's not the case. <laughs> uh-huh. That's interesting because, you know, I'm I'm now training for the 50, 50K and I kind of have bought into the, at least goo, like the gel. Yeah. Um you know, not that I've had like pro- problems eating, but it's just it just seemed to me that eating food and running was just a bad uh, combination. Combination, <laughs> like so. What, but you need it. You know, it's an unavoidable situation because you need the calories. But yeah, I I can't do the gels anymore. I will if I'm out there and I'm struggling and and you know my pack is dry and I've got nothing in the aid stations because being a gluten-free vegan at an aid station is is really hard so I have to pack a lot of my stuff when I do these races because you know a lot of the food is peanut butter and jelly sandwiches I can't have that I can't have it if it's touching the plate of something else that isn't you know what I mean so it's I have to be very conscious of that because so I I I carry a lot of my food my pack probably weighs 10 pounds (laughs) Uh uh-huh 
So are you having an, an impact on, on other trail runners who, you know, because I've seen a lot, of, a lot of plant-based runners aren't necessarily the most talented, like by, from birth, but we just we recover so much quicker. We, we can we get certain <laughs> advantages. Are folks noticing any of that? I think so. I mean, well, it started with my husband. I mean, he's a mountain biker and cyclist just by hobby. And for the first seven years of our marriage, I ate the way I ate. And he sort of ate that way by default at home. If he wanted meat, he could cook it himself. Cause I told him, I said, I've never cooked a piece of meat in my life. You don't want me touching it. Cause it most likely won't be cooked. <laughs> so if you want it, go for it. If you don't, then you're going to have what I'm going to serve. And he was okay with that. He was totally fine. But you know, he'd go out to lunch or he'd have, he'd barbecue on some nights on the weekends. And I think he just saw like, Holy cow, my wife just ran a 50 K. Then she just ran a 50 miler. She had a baby like two years ago and then she signed up for another 50k and she ran a marathon you know three months later like she's doing all of this stuff and you know I have one one tough mountain bike ride and I'm sore for you know forever and I think he kind of just saw that and finally he just he made the jump he saw for I made him watch Forks Over Nine so I didn't make him I said <laughs> here's two documentaries I want you to watch on your own time I'm not going to sit and watch with you he stayed up all night watching them. And then he stayed up the next night researching where all these people are today. Like it was forks over knives and it was vegetated were the two that, huh. that made him change. And he said he'd give it a year and he did. And he had a great bike season and he hasn't gone back since. And his buddies make fun of him left and right. So I think in a way I converted him without forcing it. I think he just kind of saw, and that's kind of how I roll. I don't tend to push. I think people see the way I am. I kind of lead by example, um, Jen, who came with me to plant stock, um, we'd met and she knew I was vegan and she'd always led a, a fairly healthy life. She's a, a, a personal trainer. So she was very much into the eat clean sort of mindset. And we trained, I helped her train for her first 50 K and the night before the race, it was myself, her and another friend. And they got a big old thing of pizza. And I sat there with my quinoa and my tempeh <laughs> for my pre-race meal. And, um, she, she bonked hard. She didn't finish that race. Her very first attempt was a, a DNF and that hit her. She is a competitive person to the, to the core and she did not like that feeling. And so shortly after that, she made the jump. We'd go on long run. She'd, she'd pick my brain for ideas. What do I do? How do I eat? What's this? How do I do this? And she's been that way. She's going on two years in December and she's run like four 50 K since then a 50 miler and finished them all strong. And so she's sold. We're working on our, our, our co-partner, our third runner that we run with a lot. <laughs> uh -huh. But I think, and then another one that I've run with for years, she's very, was always very meat and potatoes kind of. And she told me last year before we started training for our hundred K that, you know, Hey, I've cut back the meats. Um, I'm having, you know, I'm having my wife try and cook meatless meals that we've got meatless Monday at least, you know, and she, she had a great year this year too. So I don't know. I think if I just, live the way I live and interact with the people that I do that some of them see and some of them come over and some ask questions and some just say, ah, not for me. So, yeah, I find it so interesting that in our whole conversation, we've really been focused on the performance aspects of nutrition. <laughs> when the first thing you told me was that your mother died of a heart attack and like yeah. so many people would have just gone to like focused on disease prevention you know, sort of like a defensive posture. And 
it's, it's like like so, something about the running, the athletics, has it's got a real positive spin on it. Like you're not scared of anything. You're not trying to avoid or prevent anything, as a you know, as opposed to like chasing after stuff. Yeah, I mean, I guess it, it, it's partly true. I would say I'm a little scared because I have two young girls, and I know what it's like to grow up without having a mom. And that was really hard for me. I had no one to call when I was pregnant and having symptoms or, you know, prom. I had no one there. And so that, I think, hit me pretty hard that I don't want that for my kids. I want them to, to have me for as long as possible. I want to see grandkids. And um, in 2010, right when I was just had finished my 50 month, my dad had a heart attack. He has three stents in his heart. And, you know, he went from not in my household to how do you eat the way that you eat? I want to, I want to try and do this. Oh, okay. and, I was going to, I was going to come back around to him. So, uh, what's, what's he he's, up to? Yeah. Now? He's, he's 73. He has, you know, he has three cents in his heart. He has a hip replacement. He has a knee replacement. Um, he's remarried to a wonderful woman. Um, I love her to death, but she's also very much of the mindset, um, that moderation is okay. And I may have said at some family gatherings that, you know, what does Dr. Esselstyn say? say? Well, then you'll have a moderate heart attack. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and I, I, I think I've, I've pushed too many buttons. And so I try not to, to make my speeches anymore when I'm, they're there or when I'm around them. But when my dad comes to visit us in California, he'll come out for a week to two weeks at a time. He loves what I cook and he has no problems giving it up. And he's like, I feel great. He's like, I usually go home five pounds lighter. He's like, I, he's like, I would do it, but he's very conscious of his, of his spouse now. And he doesn't, you know, he doesn't want to make her feel bad if she cooks something. And I, I think she's, she's doing better, but it's still very much like, you know, there's chicken because chicken is, you know, quote unquote leaner and better uh -huh. or, you know, and, but I do think so, uh, Dr. Gregor has trying. to make a, Dr. Gregor has to make a house call there. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> That's why I'm trying really hard. I really would love to go back to plant stock next year and, and bring my dad and say, okay, this is my last, you know, here, but I'd have to bring my stepmom too <laughs> uh -huh. so that she could see it as well, you know. But oh, let, let us know. We'll, we'll, better. We'll, we'll get a whole posse of people to, to, uh, to, to drop innocent comments. <laughs> they call it Pam Heaven instead of plant stock, but. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, you look pretty happy there. I was. It was such an amazing weekend. So what's, uh, what's the importance of of running? Do you think it's something that's just like, it's your thing or is there kind of a universal quality? Like, you know, the way you, you, you have this sense that like the way we eat is kind of for everyone. Do you feel the same way about running? Um, not necessarily. Uh, my friends and I always joke and, and we mean nothing by this, but when we run, it's like our church. Like, so we'll, we'll run and, and we are not, run, 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 never stop and look around. We'll run and we'll stop and we'll look over at a view that's just breathtaking, take pictures, take in the, you know, the smells and the flowers. We really are aware of our surroundings when we're out there. And it's sort of just like we need it as mothers, especially, you know, such busy lives, kids, work, extracurricular activities. Like it's our escape. It's sort of our, if we didn't have it, we'd probably be pretty angry moms. <laughs> 
Uh-huh. You know, we just kind of need it as that release. And, you know, we bounce. Things. It's a great friendship time, too. It's, I mean, I have so much fun running with my girlfriends and friends now because it's it's a bonding time. It's a time to, to get out and just be ourselves and, you know, throw ideas out there that, you know, my kid's having trouble in this. Oh, well, mine had that problem when she was in that grade and this is what I did. And I don't know. It's just a release. And I think my husband has the same thing with mountain biking because he gets out two, three nights a week with a bunch of guys and they go and they ride and it's just kind of like I think everybody needs something that gets them outside for an extended period of time and I think it just resets your heart it resets your brain it kind of just it it rejuvenates you you know even if you're training for something I do find I don't feel as rejuvenated when I'm training for a road race than when I'm training for a trail run I feel like pavement's a little bit harsher on the joints and so you end up feeling a little bit more worn when you're done uh-huh. but still I mean you're out there and with the sun or whether it's the rain I love running in the rain it's just I don't know and that's me loving nature I've always been an outdoor person yeah I mean but I think it, everyone needs it, it feels to me like you know the, the, at least being out in nature the way you describe it like out in the woods um you know walking on the soil is a a prerequisite for for remaining human as opposed to being this utterly acculturated you know alien creature but like running for me like becoming a runner means that i don't run inside when it gets chilly or when it starts raining like yep. I just like, you know, I could be outside all the time if I lived in like, you know, Costa Rica and it was always, you know, 72 <laughs> degrees and sunny. But like yeah. where, where most of us lives, there's shitty weather sometimes. And yeah, I would always kind of like cower from that. But now the, the, the running has helped me to expand what I consider acceptable, even though it might be a little uncomfortable. And I'm spending a lot more time outdoors as a result of that. True. And having, you know, camaraderie helps, you know, when it's, when it's downpouring at, you know, six in the morning and, or I see, I I run at five in the morning every, you know, a couple times a week with my girlfriends and it's downpouring and no one wants to be that first person to text and say, it's downpouring. Do you really want to (laughs) run? You know, no one wants to be the quitter. So we all just no one says anything and we get out there and we run in the rain and we get our hour before work done and we're wet, but we feel amazing and we feel like we can tackle the day. Yeah. Yeah. If you're by yourself, it probably is a little bit harder to get motivated when it's cold or it's rainy, but you know, it is nice to have friends waiting for me, you know, out there saying, okay, don't be the wimp. Don't be the one that backs down. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm using Strava for that. Because I don't, I don't have, I haven't found a community here yet. But, uh, and if it's not on Strava, it didn't happen. That's what my husband always says. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I did this. I did this run, and I forgot to press go, and I came oh, back. Oh no! Like, I, I got to do it again. <laughs> my husband gets so angry. He's like, "It didn't pick it up, or I forgot to turn it on." <laughs> and I always give him a hard time. Well, it didn't happen, honey. Sorry. <laughs> Right. I, I kind of want to become like a um, like a spy just so someone's always keeping track of my runs. Yeah. Well, there you go. I'll, I'll follow you. So that way you can <laughs> you'll be held accountable now. Yeah. Eye in the sky. So what's uh, what are you training for right now? Um, well, it's sort of I consider this the 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 low end of the season 
and low in the sense that I don't have a major goal race on calendar, but I'm running the Headlands Marathon over in the Bay Area um, on in September, on September 10th. More or less, um, this started last year. I found this race. I wanted to do it. I called up my friend Jen and said, hey, there's this race. Do you want to go do it? And she said, I'm not trained. I said, neither am I. Let's just go and have fun and enjoy the day. And it was probably one of the most fun races we've ever done. We laughed. We, you know, we didn't have a super fast time or anything. We weren't racing. We were really just taking photos, having a great day. Running in the Bay Area is like running through like five different ecosystems. It's crazy. Hmm. Um, so I have that. And then I am... I'm turning 40 in December. So this is a big year for me. I, I you know, it's a big four Oh and I jump age brackets. So uh-huh. <laughs> I, um, I got some girlfriends on board with me and we're going to drive up to Oregon to go to Ashland to run Hal Corners Lithia loop marathon. It's a trail marathon. So a little girl getaway in November. And then I always run, um, the California international marathon. It's December. It's the first Sunday in December. That's a road race. Um, they get you though. Every year you run that race. And as soon as you finish about two weeks after you finish, when your the soreness is gone, they send you an email and says, Hey, because you ran this race, why don't you join now for next year for the low price of 50 bucks? <laughs> <laughs> so it sucks you in every time. So I do that race every year. And, um, that same weekend is the Western States lottery. And I have my ticket into that. So I will find out the first week in December if I am, drawn for western states in 2017 and that's the 100 miler that's the 100 miler uh-huh that's the one that scott jurek keeps winning yes well yeah that's the one he ran i think like i don't know f- seven times in a row or something crazy like that yeah all right well well that- good luck i hope you i hope you get in it'll make it a great series of blog posts <laughs> thank you yeah it's it's a long shot but i've you know I have my fingers crossed, and my husband says, you know what? You never win anything in life. You're going to win that one. <laughs> All right. Right on. So how can if uh, you know folks who are plant-based and want to become runners or folks who are runners and want to become plant-based, how do they follow uh, Trail Mama? Uh, well, they can go to trailmama.com. And spe- That's sort of my spell blog. T-R-A-I-L-M-O-M-M-A. Dot com. Okay. Um, I'm also on Instagram at Trail Mama, Twitter at Trail Mama, and I do have a Trail Mama Facebook page. Um, Engine Two actually just shared my page today, which is blowing my mind right now because I've got a, I've jumped like to a you know a bunch of followers in like one <laughs> one week. Yeah. Well, you wrote so, a uh, um, you wrote a very comprehensive uh, review of plant stock with lots of great photos. So yeah. I don't, I'm not surprised. Yes. Cool. So well, I guess I got to get get on the ball and start posting more. <laughs> yeah, now, now, you know, now you you see the the rewards of of uh, of good social media. Well, yep, for sure. Yeah, so I'll and I'll post those links to in the show notes. Um, Thank you. So you know, it's funny because like a lot of the podcasts I do, I'm really looking for the drama, and you know, the person <laughs> who did lose 400 pounds or who over. And, you know, you've got, you know, you certainly have ups and downs and, you know, you had a, um, a tragic loss early in life and undiagnosed celiac and all sorts of stuff. But what I like about your story is that it's, it's kind of very matter of fact and, and kind of simple and upbeat. Like this doesn't have to be a complicated drama of like no. us against the world, right? It could just be like, hey, this is how I roll. This is what I eat. This is what I do. And it's, it seems like it's giving you a lot of joy and energy. 
It, it does for sure. I mean, I, you know, my, my husband always jokes that I'm the least dramatic girlfriend, wife, whatever he's ever had. You know, I'm sort of low key <laughs> and he appreciates that, <laughs> but you know, I, compared to past yeah. people, I'm sort of just, you know, I'm, I'm low maintenance more yeah. or less. No drama trail mama. <laughs> That's a t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, I love it. Yeah. Thanks. I mean, it's, you're clearly inspiring lots of people. I hope um, my audience will, will will check out your your wisdom. I'm gonna start experimenting with more whole foods on some of my runs. So you've inspired me as well to give that a try. And I just I want to awesome. thank you so much for for your advocacy and your your energy and and best of luck figuring out parenthood. <laughs> Let me know when you <laughs> have it nailed. Yeah, <laughs> I will. Jeez. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, thanks again and be well. Thank you. Thank you, Howard. Take care, Pam. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Plant Yourself podcast. Be sure to check out the show notes with links to everything we talked about at plantyourself.com slash 171. If you're new to the show, you can catch up on 170 archived episodes over at plantyourself.com. And if you get the podcast, but not the weekly email newsletter, why not sign up for that as well? Big thanks to Plant Yourself podcast patrons, Kim Harrison, Lynn McClellan, Anthony Disson, Brittany Porter, Dominic Morrow, Elizabeth Clifton, Barbara Whitney, Tammy Black, Amy Good, Amanda Hatherley, Mary Jean Wheeler, Ellen Kennelly, Melissa Cobb, Rachel Behrens, Christine Nielsen, Tina Sharp, Tina Ahern, Jell... Oh, I was doing so well. Deep breath. Jen Vilkanovsky, David Bizek, The Mysterious, Michelle X, Elspeth Feldman, Victoria Dolomanova, Leah Stoller, and Alan Christensen for your generous support of the podcast. If you would like to support the show, you can share this and other episodes on social media via email, word of mouth. You can write a review on iTunes. It takes just a couple of minutes. It helps so much. And of course, you can also become a patron yourself by pledging a one-time amount or an ongoing gift to the podcast over at plantyourself.com. In garden news, big, big shifts since the feng shui consultation with Mark Lushton last week. By the way, earlier this morning, I recorded an interview with Mark, which is about taking care of ourselves. Um, you know, that that old uh, metaphor of the oxygen mask falling from the ceiling so that we learn how to take care of ourselves so that we can take care of others. Mark is not fond of that metaphor. And we get into some really deep stuff. We go to some very deep places in talking about taking care of ourselves through love. So looking forward to that in a couple of weeks. But back to garden news. So I'm looking out the window, seeing what we've done. We've completely revamped our front. We've made it much more accessible to people, to energy. My wife's out there right now with a shovel and a hoe and buckets of mushroom compost, planting a whole bunch of flowers, ornamentals. This is a weird thing for me to, to be planting stuff that I can't eat. But uh, beauty is itself a kind of food, I guess. So um, I'm looking forward to seeing what that does. In the back garden, we also got the kale in the ground. So I'm looking forward to a, uh, a nitric oxide-filled winter of delicious greens. And the grapes are almost ripe. Another couple of weeks, and we will be popping scuppernungs uh, like candy. And what else? What else? We just kind of cleaned up, mowed pulled out the last of the tomatoes and the cucumbers, and we're getting ready to convert to our fall winter garden. 
So as we prepare for the equinox and the season changes, and our tastes change and our needs change, my hope for everyone is that we can flow gracefully with these changes and put into the ground what we want to get out later. And as always, be well, my friends. <laughs>